Thank you very much for coming on to the show, Andrew. It's an absolute pleasure and honour to have you here. Such an illustrious career and such a humble man. Can you tell us where it all started and why you decided to join the armed forces? Uh, left school with, you know, as one of those typical uh, young kids. Didn't do very well at school. Um, always wanted to be a soldier. Um, 87. Uh, went for the first time ever for the um, normal uh, go through for basic training, etc. The, the literacy test and something. And I failed it. And I was absolutely mortified. Come away broken hearted. The guy that took me to one side said, come back um, a couple of weeks later, which was not the normal thing as a six month waiting list, went back, passed it. Um, always wanted to be a soldier. Um, and it was, you know, it, 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 I never wanted to do anything else. The rest of the family are builders. Uh, my son, plaster, my brother-in-law's plaster, my dad was in the joint region. So nobody, I've got no military, uh, I've got ancestors and previous World War yeah. One and Two, but in my in my family, um, including my daughter, you know, then none of them are, are military orientated. They're not. So, um, talk us through your signing up process and what year did you join in? Uh, joined eighty seven, eighty eight, uh, which when things were putties, uh, shiny hard nut boots, um, lightweight trousers that were pressed. We all know that are old school with one side of the trousers that were pressed and one side was white and one side wasn't. Um, Itchy KF shirts, which young soldiers of today will have no idea what we're talking about. But you shaved your shirt to take the furriness off the side because it used to take your nipples off. So, pardon anybody who's listening who's touching over nipples. Um, and yeah, it was, um, we were on the backburn of the Falkland era. So, things that were just starting to seep in, but we still, the SLR, the SLR was just coming out of, out of the game. Uh, the SA80. Um, and the, the the crow piece itself, the LSW, um, and yeah, I went. To, we were at, we were based at Catrick, for, uh, sorry, Litchfield for the whole six months. Um, it was that was your duration of phase one and phase two. Um, you still did reckon and you know for the phase two part of it, but yeah, it was it was we. Had, I think I had a tin helmet, um, a double heavy duty combat trousers. I had my 58 webbing um, and and a throwover, a throwover, uh, some form of day uh, sort of day sack type thing with brass clips that would get stuck on your helmet every time you wet it. Every time you threw it over, um, you'd come back off exercise, the thing would be drenched and it'd shrink. And your section commanders would be screaming, you get the mud off it, and you couldn't get your water bottle back in. You couldn't get your roll, your, your um, the thing that was on the back of your top of, of your weapon. Everything shrunk. It, it was just because uh, the material was made. And then, lo and behold, we went into a, a, the, the, the the ninety-five kit was coming yep. out, which was which was the best thing ever. Yeah, as I joined the forces, the ninety-five kit, the CS ninety-five was um, already out, and that's what we issued. So, thankfully for me, I don't have any recollection of the itchy uh, itchy underwear that you guys had to wear. Um, so in, in that time period, obviously, you peacetime, but obviously you had some very kinetic operations later on in your career. What, what was your first kinetic deployment? Uh, first kinetic deployment, well, we would be Northern Ireland. Um, we'd already, the, that was with the Cheshire Regiment then, um, we'd already done for Manor um, in the early 90s. Um, 
who was Bosnia, uh, sorry, there was the Bosnia, I didn't do the first thing that was Bosnia, but yeah. the second stint, which was um, for Mana, which was a six month tour, and then we went to Balakelly for uh, just under a three year pro under a three year um, period. Uh, well, it was about three years with dates before and really parties and so forth. It would it would have marked off as a, a three year point. Um, unlike most that been out there, you know, I I I I got married in '95. My this was my first time my wife had ever left the UK as such. But she was embarking on of all the places to go, which would be. You know, a terrorist threshold. It was a stronghold for uh, a divided colony, um, and not just the Catholics and Protestants having their issues, but you know, you've got then the military. Um, we had the parachute regiment that was that was doing their own thing, which was bringing to the public eye, etc. And we was living off the history of the parachute regiment, so it was it was a bit ropey. Um, it, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was something that was uh, a. a, a Bad tour. I loved the um, the Northern Ireland experience. You know, op cycles, guard cycles, and your home yeah. cycle. Um, and we would get air rifles shot at us. You know, bags of urine, bags of feces, battery acid thrown over snatches. The same things that everybody else has encountered during um, the, the sort of um, the, the, that sort of um, period when it was in Northern Ireland, yeah. um, and obviously. Uh, the, the the riots, you know, that we we I think I was very it was the only time I was very fortunate we was in um, Omar, I think, and it was um, uh, the two well known IRA guys were at the centre of the, um, the 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 loyalists or the, the parade. I can't quite too remember, but we were stood there and it was quite eerie. You know, you got um, Jerry Adams stood there. And McGuinness on the right, and they're, they're, they're very—they're not doing anything that would warrant a, a, an issue. They—they uh, they were just stood there, prompting, provoking the crowd on, um, and that basically led them from being a naive younger still soldier um, to turning the corner, um, yeah. realizing that you know um, never would have envisaged then what was going to be later in life in, in conflict. Yeah. Obviously, that's a completely different environment to a, a war zone environment. Um, how long was it before you, you entered a, a war zone environment rather than a sort of peacekeeping environment? Yeah. Um, Kosovo was was uh, was good, uh, a bit hairy. That was the first time that I'd have ex I experienced a true rattle of gunfire that I did when I was in Iraq. You know, that sporadic yeah. fire at night time, celebration with fire. Uh, and then the, the, the heated element of organised crime, doing the kneecapping, um, robberies, etc. But I think more so for your bread and butter uh, was when I did Optelic um, in 2003. That was, to me, that was your nitty gritty. That was that, was that element of hardcore that, when, <laughs> I could say this now, but at the time when we got on the coaches and we got, we got a body armour that didn't fit, so they just said, put it against the window, and I, and, and you go, you're going to go with somebody like that because I got given a small. I'm six foot two, sixteen stone, and I'm like I worked at the time, but even so, six foot two with, with a small body armor didn't even cover my breastplate. Um, and they said, put it against the window, you won't, you won't be hurt. Well, an IED doesn't go through the window. The IED usually protrudes from the bottom of the vehicle or or surrounding of the vehicle. So that in itself was 
the eye opener. That's what made. I won't deny it. It was it was a nerving tour up till three. Not just from. I was a highly trained medic as well, so I had I dealt with a lot of casualties, a lot of death, um, a lot of British soldiers injured. So it it it, it kept me on my toes, and and because I was uh, that way inclined from the medical side of it, um, I had 132, including two, another regiment under under without attached to uh, the Royal Regiment of Wales that I'd moved over to. Um, so being solely responsible for that group of manpower though we had team medics i was an advanced medic so it was it was yeah it was quite harrowing to be honest quite uh quite nerving and it was constant there was never there was never a moment where it, there was a lull there was something happening all day every day and because we was center of um we were in the osb old school building in basra uh, yeah it was a busy busy process wow um being a medic, like you said, having to deal with fallen teammates, um, KIA, at, at what stage do you allow yourself to mentally deal with what you've seen and what you've had to deal with? Good question, Matt, because you never... Um, my wife worked in Germany, <clears throat> based in Germany, and she was not a soldier, she worked in the, um, uh, in the uh, medical centre, um, and I got injured. Um, just through a training exercise, and I broke my ribs, um, and it it, it played a, a sort of, not mental game on myself, but my, my, my wife was like, "Wow, you know, he's really hurt himself here." I thought yeah. punching me long, but I was fine. So it was just it was just it was at the basics. But when you start to envisage and then start to see the real reality of what we've seen on Call of Duty, what we've seen in movies, what we've seen, um, or we've heard second hand from other people you know i i've spoken to people that, it, that have not been friends but in groups that have either been ex falkland vets that have and, and it's made you stop and listen to the story you know a bit like the granddad on all the bulls and horses he'll yeah. say something pinnacle, but he'll repeat it repetitively in a different way for the next duration of his lifetime and um, sometimes i feel like that but i think once you start to see it um, it just opens the mind. But I think once you've been, I mean, I, I have to say, I'm, I, I'm not a squeamish person and death um, and significant injuries. I used to thrive on injured, not, it, not, it sounds wrong that injured personnel, but I knew what I was doing. I was yeah. very comfortable with an open fracture, with a, 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 a dislocation, with stitching, suturing. And I took things out. I've, 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 I've so I was comfortable, and I also was comfortable administrating because I'd done my administration course to do basic pharmaceuticals. So, so things that you know um, where I was because we the, the area was we didn't have a doctor on call all the time, or I could refer to speaking to a doctor. But I think that when you're just as an example, and it's not bringing anybody's names into anything, I could just remember a couple of things that we we was in a was in the hospital in uh, in Iraq and. Um, and we'd gone to see a terrorist who'd accidentally blown himself up. Now he'd, see, he'd received significant burns. He, he, he wasn't going to live, you know, 80, 90% burns, face, um, his private anatomy, his chest plate, his arms, it was just one big glue and he's breathing. But like the British Army do, go down and see if he's got any intel. And I'm like, he's got straws and tubes coming out of every orifice. He isn't going to speak. So we had to check his kit. But, there was the women screaming, and on the floor were numerous young dead people. 
and this young kid what we found from our interpreters celebration with fire gone up and what people don't realize their celebration with fire comes down and on that coming down and hit him double tapped him in the top of the head 276 to the round killed him and she's screaming uh, there's a guy smashing this wall this claret blood going everywhere and that passionate element of it um and seeing that and thinking what is this all about so then going back and having a vehicle i was fast asleep a good good two three o'clock in the morning um like most squaddies do you know we we we'd indulge on crates of coke crisps uh see and then we put on like all squaddies do as you very well know you stick a war movie on and people are like why would where why would you watch you know black or down or um you know tears of the storm some some something that you're involved yeah. in that people would go seriously you you, you watch war films while you're in combat. of course you do because that, that's the the, the the soldier mentality but the van turned up and in the back of it was a dead lad just been picked up off the street and they said can you can you save him and there's not not a great deal left yet and i looked at him as if to say but what they didn't what what was the most bizarre was sat next to him was a 155 shell with a, a timer device a nokia phone that had not gone off that they thought it was appropriate to bring into camp i turned around and went well you can imagine i use some chosen words um, and that's not made you come out evacuated the camp and there we've got sat there for six seven hours later come out a 155 shell tucked under this young lad's dead body wow. and there were two separate incidents but they could i can remember that talking to you like yesterday wow that's it's a different line obviously being a medic to uh sort of like frontline infantry work um so what other tours you did besides sort of Iraq? Well, I did. I did when we we, we came back. Um, everybody knows you go out to do your uh, your batters training. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it's 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 still part of the process, but you did the batters training then for the second deployment, which we went to Alamara. Yeah. Um, now the I think it was was it PWRR or somebody that had the longest kill uh, on the snap. They, they they'd been hit. Um, we was in. Um, based up there and they got whacked really heavily you know and we was doing a lot of the msr routes we were taking stuff up taking bringing stuff back and it was a good trek um from from camp back to basra it was you know it was, it was usually a lot of night runs day runs but we 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 would do it we was more a present of doing heavy duty uh patrols etc etc um i think we lost we had because the uh, the Staffords were just there as well. They were, and we'd lost a, a guardsman. It was driving an ambulance. They'd been ambushed, um, and we remember seeing the ambulance, and it was Kane seven six two. It had been rattled through PKM, uh, which if anybody doesn't know is a um, foreign submachine gun, uh, <coughs> similar to our uh, GPMG type roles, um, and it chewed the vehicle up, and it, it, the vehicle was full of claret still there. Not clear. It was it was never going to be used. Um, and i come back from that and I, I, that's where that period of my life where i thought you know we'd all we were already in Afghanistan, um and i thought what what am i getting out of this now you know yeah. is this going to be home for four months are we going to be back to tours uh, which we were are we going to be straight back into it and that period where i 
because I had PVR rise, which is pre-voluntary release, where I was under the age of 18, and that was in early, at late ninth, late 80s, um, it stood for me. So it meant that I could get out within two weeks of the British Army. That was me boxed wow. off. I could pack up and leave. I don't know if it still stands. And that's what I did. I just, epiphany, three o'clock in the morning, rolled over on the February and said to my wife, I'm at, I've done, I can't. Um, this is, it's not about the mental element. I'm just thinking the long term um, of where we're going and what we're not doing. And ironically then, that was the start of going into what would be um, CP, close protection. Wow. Um, I I mean, before that, I think the first month, um, like anybody that comes out, you, you're finding your feet, you're having a bit of a good time, you know, the beer's flowing well, you put about half a stone on because no one's teaching you, telling you what you've got to do, you know, you've got, you're missing the camaraderie, the yeah. banter, um, but then at the same time, you're like, I've got to make a stand here, um, so I was going to go for my paramedicals, uh, which was six months, smash every day, and not the two-year one. Uh, and going for it and get it hammered, uh, like one of my other friends had done. It was like anything, and I thought, not police. Um, and I, I, I'd done the police selection process, but they were very, very anti, very, uh, they weren't keen for infantry soldiers to come on board. They thought we were going to all be SWAT and SO19, and we all wanted guns. And that was yeah. by far the furthest thing from my mind. I, I, I wanted our look cars, and I thought I'd, I'd like to do that, you know. Um, do the high speed stuff and, and learn from that and progress through the career, taking it on. And and that didn't materialise. I had a running with the police, um, not in, in the interview, I had a running. Um, and fortunately, I told him where to go, and that didn't go down very well. So they they canned my, um, they canned my uh, paper and said, You can come back in 12 months. I told them to fuck off. I said, I'm not coming back in 12 months. So that didn't go down well neither. Um, so then, uh, the CP, I had a lot of mates doing it. A lot of lads had left in Iraq in 2003, four and five. My sergeant major, 20, 24 years in, quit. Job done, out, went straight to Iraq. He was being paid 800 a day, 1,000 a day, like all the uh, the sneaky beaky boys were. Yeah. The money was thrown hand over fist abroad. Um, the more the, the qualifications you had, the better you went into. And there were teams being set up for everything. You know, they, they predominantly were... English um, roles, I don't mean that from not taking Wales and all that, but I mean, there were, were troops from Great Britain, I should, should say, um, but they, they con constituted with a lot of Fijians that served in the, the British infantry um, and other regiments, but it, it, it was predominantly at the infantry element that they looked for you, uh, because it, obviously the nature of the beast on the road. But, you know, I'll do that. I've got my, I, I'm a, a very well advanced uh, all aspects of the, the medical side of it i am with the weapons you know it was and that was the path that i chose to take that i was about to go over then to iraq to do um all the, the heavy duty you know pmc world which was at the time we were mercenaries and we were going to the dark side and then the world most the merc left because it was a very dirty and used in south africa word and yeah. it became we were military contractors so that's where I embarked on uh, the, the close protection world. Incredible. Uh, I just want to circle back to a few points. As, as you were leaving the, the army, uh, like you said, you had this epiphany in the early hours of the morning. How, looking back, how do you feel your mental state was as you were leaving the military, entering civilian life? Do you feel that you'd given yourself time to deal with everything that you'd seen, witnessed and been through? 
No. I don't think anybody has. And to be honest, Dan, I, 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 my parents came out to me when I, when I was deploying in Germany in 2000, was based in Germany in 2003, and when I was deploying, um, my, uh, I, I, my wife was with me, and my parents came out with my mother-in-law. I've never seen my dad's in his 70s. He's old school. He's kick-ass type. You know, it wouldn't throw out many hugs, and he's not the type to say, I love you, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I, I'm 50, nearly 51, and that's the part of the 70s, 80s child a lot of us grew up with, with parents. And it was the first time I'd ever seen him uh, massively upset because of, of the conflict and the way that we were evolving in Iraq. Um, and I thought there was, there was nerveness, of course, you know, it, 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 you knew that you would, you, you'd be facing not the end of a 762, but now we were facing IEDs, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, that's not necessarily the way that we would kill a soldier now by a bullet because they were very poor at that. We'll blow their legs off them so it's maimed them and, ha and arms the rest of life. So what I encountered uh, prior to that, mentally-wise, was fine. But when I came back um, at the end of the, the – I was out for just nearly seven months, about seven months, just under about a day or two for seven months, and then um, – my sister said he was not the same person that went, that's come back. And it's always stayed with me that, yeah. and everybody else picked up on that, that you're, there's something not right, you know, but we laugh, you know, and you'll laugh. There's always something missing up here with us lot, because that, that's just the nature of the beast, you know. Yeah. It, it, it thrives on war films and conflicts. Who talks about it 15 years, 16, 20 years on, who covers social media, hammering people for films, saying, that's not how they do it, this, that, and the other. So we, 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 we know we're our own worst enemy, but my sister was extremely upset. I was uh, not from a mental stage, but volatile, very, which plays a part from the mental element of it. It, was, it contributed. I'd flare up fast. I'd stopped and got out of cars to people, 10 men strong, didn't care, not interested. I could take the world on. I was a soldier. I was I was uh, currently serving. I'd seen more stuff in a week than people would see on a hospital ward in their lifetime. And I knew people, nurses and doctors, and said that. Um, but that's when you your family start to pick up on the small traits. Now there, there was there was never any um, element of me going into it that the suicidal, um, and there was no uh, no time that I ever stopped to think that what was affecting me mentally even though it was affecting other people around me, especially my loved ones and people that were close to me, did I stop to think that? Because I just thought, tough, that's just how I am. But it's not how I was. Wasn't how I, wasn't how I was when I went and joined. You know, my daughter says, you know, you, you, be, you know, I fly off the handle at the simplest, basic little things to where 30 years, 20 years ago, that would have never dreamt. As a kid at school, I was quiet, I was shy, I was reserved. Um, and yeah, I, 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 that demisal of, of Iraq set the path for that mental um, imbalance that I carry, and so does a majority of other people. Yeah, I think, as we say, we, we leave a part of ourselves in the conflict, no matter yeah. if we make it out dead or alive. Um, so you're saying one of your colleagues served 24 years and decided to, to leave the armed forces to go into PMC work um, and then found himself going back to Iraq. What, well, such as yourself, what do you think the rationale is of 
having enough of doing it in the military, but then thinking I'm going to go back to the same place as a private military contractor? Um, well, the Iraq thing, that was that what you just hit on there was I, a good friend of mine who was uh, my platoon sergeant, um, he, he, he came back to me and said to me, don't, yeah. we're losing like you won't believe. Um, Aegis were on, you know, and Garda World, the big PMC companies um, and Armour Group, they were very successful. They were snapping guys up from all regiments. They were bringing them in and they were saying, right, we'll offer you X amount of YZ and, it, you know, and you're going to get this. And, and it was no different. And some of them were uniform because they were wearing the fire retardant, um, uh, like boiler suit, fighter pilot suit. So it kept some form of uniformity. And they had a rank structure ages and things like that. And I thought, you know, is that really for me? Do I do I want to do that? And I was very lucky that um, a job opportunity between the Iraq and me registering with a company in London, which is the Dubai office of London, which are which is run by ex RMPs. Uh, we won't say nothing more about RMPs. We'll just leave that at that. Um, so that no joke aside, so that so they they were um, they, I got I got this call and he said, look, send your CV. Um, we've got a Saudi royal coming into the UK for a, a long term. I said, right, went down for the interview, uh, and it was a, a three tier interview, and they were very open that the two Eriford guys that were on there were drunk every day and got sacked, which was like, right, okay, fair enough, you know, if you if you get if these these boys are. So this was, I thought, do I take the Iraq path or do I see what the UK has to offer first? Do I take this um, this this leap of faith and go with it? And, and I was quite nervous. I won't deny, you know, it's all right standing with his abroad and you've got teams and you've got a backing and you've got a support. This lady in question was a, was, was a billionaire, you know, yeah. the, the, the drop of the hat. They had a detailed party with them. And, you know, and yeah, I, I passed the interview and he said to me, right, you're coming to London, you're going to be six weeks in advance, all the wreckies, Harrods, Sloan Street, all the beautiful places. So I put on the back burn then in relation to anything for the uh, Middle East, anything that would warrant or anything that was going on. And at the time, though, we just embarked on Afghanistan, tipping our toe in, we were still still running the iraq thing we didn't have um we didn't have libya on the card you know even though he, he was still dealing with gaddafi with the world we had no issue with the north korean side of it that that was that was a, a long a packed away thing so the the the, the 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 true horrible side of things still going on was in iraq um so i was like yeah, I've, I've done that. Sorry, I'm just flicking up all these the idiots on my team page that uh, try to send me messages. So I'm thinking to myself, right, um, no, I won't do Iraq. What what do I need to achieve out of Iraq? Yes, salary salary wise, it was talking seventy to hundred k a year. Yeah. That's all the all the big side of things were. But well, I will embark on the close protection side of it, which from a mental side of it gave me a whole new clear perspective. It, it channeled me away from that military side of death, some glory, um, some some things that you questioned, um, and everything that goes that fits in that circle to suited and booted, protecting somebody that's, that's shopping, 
with hundreds of millions. And that was where that, that path started, uh, which kept me which, which kept me focused. You know, I, I didn't have no doors open. It didn't allow um, anything to creep in. I met new people, uh, you know, ex-Bootnecks, Marine, Paras, other infantry lines that were on the circuit working, and they were all doing the same sort of thing. It encouraged me to... To, to, to find my feet a little quicker, quicker, bit faster, and we, we we got on really well. It was it it it, it was the what I believe which I, which carried me to where I am today. But obviously through that path, I go back abroad again. Yeah. Um. So leaving the military, you've just managed to get this wonderful CS95 edition kit, um, and now you're going into PMC kit. What sort of kit were you carrying as a PMC? Body plate armor. Yeah. Um, so my when we when I, my first gig in uh, Afghan, um, I I've been for two interviews in the same day. Armor group and Aegis and we're on the same road. Yeah, I'm up on the same road. Fucking up road, I think it is. Been into Aegis. Very strict. Very. I'll suit and booty. Three three piece suit. Dark with a. Guards, conservative-looking tie, so six foot two. They're slimmer then, um, and, and it, it was it was it, it went in, and it was there was tons of blokes in there, all waiting, sat nervously, all with clipboards, all looking shaven, sharp, you know, chiselled chins, and um, all smelling the various curios and every other cheap crappy aftershave that you could personally put on. So we, uh, I went in, and he said to me. Uh, very straight he was. He was an ex, because it's guard-orientated age. Yeah. He was an ex. And he said to me, he said, look, I won't deny we've lost three lads this week. Um, oh. And I'd like, well, if you try to sell this to me, you're not doing a very good job. And he goes, so, he said, so, so I'm letting you know that if you're family and ori- or- or- a family-orientated individual with a young child, which I did, he says, um, you're going to struggle with this. So I said, right. He said, I sent you the credential, the paperwork and so forth. Get it filled in. Send it back. Let me know if you're not going to. I went straight out to Armour Group. Half of the salary, um, which which was stupid because the Iraq thing was with Aegis. Armour Group was Afghan. So I thought, right, well, you know, I'll do Afghan. I've done Iraq. I don't need to achieve anything in the whole northeast, southwest of Iraq. I've done it. Afghan, Bob's your uncle. Spoke to a few of my mates and they said, get out of here. Come on, get out of here. Had the interview, um, and it was went really well. I come out, drove back to Manchester from London, uh, and he said, "Right, you've got a two two week window." Flew then to Helmand. Well, I flew to Bastion, and then we we um, oh sorry, flew to Kabul. I moved then from Kabul to Bastion, Bastion by Merlin um, into uh, Lashnagar, which was uh, the camp in Helmand, which yeah. had four uh, two commander one at the time. Um, and um, the cat goes to me, he says, What are you competent with? And I says, So, what what, what weapons are we get? He said, Listen, E36. So I thought, Right, okay, no trusty AK, no rusty AK, no. He said, No, no, um, Beretta that's got a cheap Chinese top and a Spanish bottom that's been made for you. So I thought, I'm, I'm doing well here. So you need to buy your own rig. Have you got your own plates? I went, no, you're not. I ain't got no plates. He said, right, you have to find some plates. So we found some plates. So it, the camp we were in was predominantly uh, ex-bootnecks, ex-paras. Yeah. And 
the team I went on were all um, ex paras and it was a, it was it, I won't mention names. There's a lot of them well known. Some of them are naughty boys, um, which some people know that for, but we won't go through that name and shame because some of them are still my friends. Um, but it was it was one of those like you come out and I had fresh, crispy wrapper crag upper trousers that were fresh clean. They rustled and warm. And my shirt looked, and I was sat in the de- in in the uh, cookhouse defat, and I stood out like a sore thumb. I looked alright, dick. I've got this clean white creamy shirt on and everybody's looking filthy everyone weathered you know you could tell there's a lot of gym gym time in there so i come out went back to my room which was which was just another the air conditioning unit and i went out took my trousers and shirt outside and i just stood on them all ruffled around in the sand <laughs> brought them, cut a few snips in the shirt but i had some ink dye there that i'd smudged on my shirt i walked out the next day I fitted in. I started. I, I, I started growing anyway, and then and we'd seen these. Uh, I'd been talking to these SRR lads, and they were covering themselves in fake tan. They were just plastering it, doing all the beards, big, big brown, uh, big brown and ginger beards. They were, and we had an SF camp, uh, UK and American to the side of us, and that was the start of changing my whole walk of life and view and vision on kit yeah and what made your life the alleyway easy um and that's what pushed me further through the rest of afghanistan by making things not quite i never cut corners on plates um and rigs Some would say oh you don't need to wear that you know it's 44 degrees i wore it because it, 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 it i felt comfortable in it and it, it fitted me and it, it served my purpose in my in my mental sort of capacity yeah. i i justified it you don't want to wear plates at the side or you wear no plate at the back that's you not me so that was i started then we had the great weapons uh through to other contracts and yeah it was i, I managed to get start getting gucci gear and i'm looking they're up the operator that you, I know you dream of you know um so yeah um you said it was your plate carrier and personal choice what was your plate carrier that you ended up choosing well i got a warrior i hope you know me Today, I, I still have the same one. I've got two, and I still use the same one plate, the DCS that, I, that I've always used, and it's never ripped. I've never had to sew it. I've never had to add nothing to it. I had, I had a, um, a, a nice, plain, sandy PMC one, which I had rip-off pouches um, that I would adapt so that I could put, I could do overt um, and put this shirt over the top of it. Yeah. Um, sorry, their covert, so my shirt would go to the top of it and over it. You, it was stood to be noticed. I'd wear um, the rig over a shirt. Um, I never did t-shirt order. You know, I, I found that more Americanized. But I, we, we, I just, I thought, you know, we represent British here, very upper top lip, and um, so it was shirts and so forth. But yeah, warrior, warrior for, um, for that. Um, a belt rig. Like you, you know, we didn't have them very Gucci um, shooter belts then. It was a crappy, I had a Viper belt with a Viper Velcro leg thing where you put a mag inside of it. And and I put my Glock in there and it worked. It, it, it did the job for me, actually. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, comparing to now where everyone's wearing Safari Land ones that are like 250 quid, this, this thing cost me about $14. Uh, so yeah, I went with that. Um, I had 
a ballistic helmet which was issued which was which we were on the fcl contract which if anybody doesn't know is the foreign commonwealth office contract which is a government contract yeah. so in that government role you you it, it gives you a, such a, a massive parameter to work with every regiment because you're working under the british umbrella but we were providing cp4 parachute regiment and marines units high-ranking units um, and other uh, well-known sneaky deaky type drop-off pickups. So um, yeah, it was it was kit-wise. I'd always wore Solomon's always, um, and the, the the uniform shirt and trousers would always crack up because it dried very quickly. Yeah. Um, so I know things have slightly changed more now in the world with these super duper belts that we, me, you, and others wear for our airsoft sport. And you know, it's all about the image now. It wasn't then. It certainly, as long as it did the job, that's all you were bothered about. But yeah, it was boring as it was. I think it's the the more uh, the the community becomes well known with films, TV series. I think the community yeah. itself wants to become more Gucci in the gear that they wear. The more known they become. Um, yeah. So, how far did your military side of the CP work go? What you mean when I was serving in the military doing the, for, for CP? No, doing the uh, your close protection, your um, contract military work in Afghanistan. Oh, how, how far did that take? So, so I did. We did um, Helmand, uh, and that was covering all the south um so it it, it it was it was yeah it was ropey and helmand it was yeah. the, you know i won't they won't you won't meet anybody that's not say anyway I, I, any uh, otherwise uh, afghanistan was for you know it was the it was the top of the tree afghan it was fundamentally the, the big you know use if you if you go into afghan use it i mean I'm, through the news we were losing a lot of soldiers so we const we constantly was using um and taking out military headship, which in that term means uh, commanding officers and above uh, uh, British government dignitaries would come into the country uh, and we would provide support for them, including the, the British military guys would give support for us uh, and other um, external units, death-wise, etc, etc. And they, they would work in various roles, depending on who it was, was coming to the country, like prime ministers and so forth. So you, you got to use your military mentality and as well as the training to put into the private military contractor perspective um i stayed in helmand um and then unfortunately my wife rung me uh, on an unsecure line um not her fault um, and she was carrying our baby and my daughter was um, seriously poorly um, and at that time i was on the roof with secretary of state We've just had a uh, special branch turn up. Secretary of State's coming on his own jet. Uh, we've got all the sneaky deaky boys and all this backup CPT, RMPs. So I won't say any more about them again. <laughs> they, they, were, they were just a fucking nightmare. Uh, so I was team leader. So we, through the team, you, you've got to do team leader role. We had a specific team leader but you would delegate out. So you do your bonnet brief as such in the morning, eight o'clock and the bonnet brief would be map out, uh, route one, two and three, ex extract one, two and three. So if we was contacted, we, we had other alternative routes coming home and order of March, one, two and three, cat vehicle, who would be in what, uh, 
and what access and what other extras we had on the ground that would be able to facilitate us should we get into any little contact here and there and we had to, we had to come off the ground through through um on foot so to speak um the special branch guys have got really well with actually fantastic um really but we had this really really big color gentleman lovely guy from my neck of the woods he must have had 60 mags on his front chest and he's profusely Ripping, and he going, <sighs> and I'm going, mate, you've got to take that off. I said, well, because we're not even going outside yet, and we're in an air conditioned building. He's going, pardon my French, this way's a fucking tough. <laughs> I said, you don't need all them bags. I said, if you have to move across the ground, shoot and scoop, live to fight another. I said, well, it's not like the TV. We don't stay and engage. We're going home. I said, we're getting back to camp. I said. I said, take it off, put it in your grab bag, put some on you. I said, so yes, I said, you need the four mags. So you've got any on your belt, put the rest in the grab bag. It was fine. We left. Uh, I was going to um, some well, some, one of the big Afghan dignitaries' houses for a meeting. And that's where I was on the roof. I never, ever took a call from anybody. And the first person that rung was my dad, um, saying that, she was poorly uh, and I spoke and she was in hospital and we were told that we were going to lose our, our daughter now Jessica she had these three things that were critically ill critically bad uh, she would she would die from obviously my and my world went to pieces which was lovely went to the to the, the special branch guy because he could see I was massively upset and he went into the secretary of state and went we've got a councillor's meeting we've got to get this lad back he spoke to the secretary of state the secretary of state said Get him on my plane back to Kabul and home. The plane broke down. <laughs> so typical of British Air, uh, British Air, the RAF. So I sold everything on the bed in my room in Lash and got eight, nine hundred dollars. Went home in the shirt and uh, t shirt and trousers that I what had. Uh, cut the story short, it took two days to get home due to. Uh, Flying from um, Bastion back up to Kabul was just, oh, it was just, I had to bump somebody off a seat and all the people I had to bump off a seat was a brigadier and he was pissed. Who's <laughs> he? Why am I being bumped off for him? Who the hell does he think he is? I'm a brigadier in the British Army and this, this RAF sergeant walked out. He went, sir, pardon my French, fucking sit down. This lad's fucking child may be dying and everybody was like 40 people around us went, Oh, and he went right and started reading his times. I got the plane, came home. Um, Jessica was fine. It got the wrong details for her, oh, wow. um, and it was somebody else, which was a, a godsend. Um, so I took a couple of months off, and then I, I came back to Afghanistan. Glum for punishment. Oh yeah, straight away. So uh, what happened to this time you went round into Afghanistan? So came back, um, went to Kabul, um, met my very, very, very close friend of mine, um, Bill Williams, is, is an ex um, RMP, <laughs> uh, but he's, he's from private right through to major. Uh, incredible guy with a fusilier from Salford. Uh, uh, got his own book out and so forth. Um, and he said to me, "Come to one side." He said, "You fancy a standing team leader role in Kunduz?" I said, yeah, I don't mind Kunduz. That's something I've never been to. I said, are we going up? Ironically, it's a German AO. So it was on a massive plateau, 
German camp uh, and American camp. So I get flown up one man on the back of a German Erg, British. You couldn't have written this, you know, considering 1945, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Germans take me off, land me up there, um, and then I have a ex-US Navy SEAL client um, and four uh, local national guys that spoke great English. So I worked up on that plateau of Kunduz, um, and we had at the back of us we had um, we had 400 uh, assorted US Marines uh, and two two full teams of Delta, um, and they could sit smoking big fat Cubans every night, drinking whiskey every night, telling us the stories, and then they'd go out and smash. I mean, to be honest, mate, the, 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 the quick story was we got a knock at the gate. And the um, the guards there were shouting, Mr. Andy, Mr. Andy, Mr. Andy, blah, blah, blah. So I went over with my clients. Um, and we had other American guns. We had, um, uh, what they called, what was they called? It was uh, this, it was very naughty in, in Iraq, the American um, PMC company. That's not called Blackwater. Blackwater. We had Blackwater on the yeah. Two dog handlers and four ex uh, SWAT guys, uh, really lovely guys. Um, and we let these Delta lads in and they were, they just had t-shirts on. Hockey helmets, nods, more, more weapons and armory than you can shake a stick with. So he said, I said we're talking and he said, oh, is, is a cookout open? Can we get something to eat? I said, I'm just thinking, you've only come four miles down the road. You, we can't feed you guys the size of them, you know. <laughs> We, they, these were big boys, so they went in, uh, left a load of Gatorade. We, we give them a load of chops and bacon, made them bacon boys and that. So they went out then on ass just to whack everybody in the conduct around the Kunduz area. It was this small village, um, because uh, they, they, we were getting sporadic rounds every night, you know. They, they, they'd be coming in, we'd be coming into contact with, with the guard towers and the gate, and you got used to it, you fell asleep. But, I slept with my AK, slept with my pistol under my pillow. You know, it was it was never hundred percent sure. They could not break him. Marines came back about one in the morning, woke us up. You know, very happy. They killed them all, and they, they said, "Right, they'll be all back tomorrow." But it'll be uh, from as it stands now. Where can we get some Jack Daniels? Can we get some bourbon? Uh, so the campfire got started up again, and I'm still sat there at four in the morning with my client. Um, so I did that for uh, one rotation. But on my rotation, I said goodbye to my guys. And I thought I was going back up to, to continue that. But what happened was my uh, Bill, who's, who was the RA director, said to me, he said, look, we've got a very delicate uh, commercial contract, which consists of uh, British engineers, uh, electricians, etc. But it's run by XSF. Uh, uh, Two two guys, and I said, right. He said, and it's a DOD Department of Defence, Department of State contract. So we're coming under uh, not that we just UK CPOs. We're working under a, a US uh, contingency, which means that we answer to the US. You know, we've got to do regular range days. We we got all issued M4s. I'm quite shocked at this now. I had a real crappy AK that was made up of about ten parts. Pistol I talked to you about that was made about five parts, yeah. different parts of the build. You know, you fire it and you would, one day the slider go forward, you fire it another day the slider go backwards. 
So, you know, and you could hear the rounds go. It was like something from like the 16, 1700s, a musket gun. So I never used my pistol ever. And I thought, if I'm going to go, I'll just take my flip flop or shoe off and beat somebody to death with it. Because it was. So, right, you've got brand new Glocks, brand new M4s, uh, ACOG sights. I'm thinking, fucking hell, this is really good stuff. This is, you know, this is, this is because it's an American contract. So we're getting issued all the lovely gear, uh, new hockey helmets and, and everything, and uh, new plates, American ballistic plates, which were, were nice and heavy. Uh, I had to go for an interview with these SF lads, uh, who I know very well now, um, and they rolled me like a donkey. They did. They they came to me over interview, over interview, over interview, um, asking everything, what you're capable of, what you're doing. And that's where we, I took them on, well, they took me on. I became a team leader. I had a uh, 2123 lad on the team. I had a X264 Sphinx battery lad. Um, but he made his own history, um, PMC out there, because he got, he decided to fraternise with Russian on leave in Dubai. Did pay the Russian young lady and ended up getting jailed for 12 months in a, in a Dubai prison. Um, and then the Russians went after him. So, wow. yeah, he, he, and he, he's now in full-time jail because he'd become a naughty boy dealing in the big white stuff. And he's got something like 15 years he has a full. So that's, um, that, that was him. So I, from, the, from the teams, it was, it was quite, uh, it was quite, um, it was, under it not what's the word not under it's low profile everything was very done under the wire um we had uh, dod cat cards um and i had a few other an american i had the justice card made because out there it's all about uh, pulling the wool over now if you'd have stopped in a uk car outside uh, a uk with the as a uk pmc etc even sometimes the diplomat jobs that we used to work on the FCO, the, the, the Canadian and the British FCO, they would be arsy stopping you, taking your client in. Weapons was an issue because of the licensing law. The, um, the MOI, Ministry of Interior, would issue your license, and we'd always have issues because he did, we'd get bumped off, or he'd get spotted there and then, or he'd be kicked out of his job. So it was changing the regular, and it was all about dropping cash in people's hands. So um, we would, work under a US call sign, they never stopped us. You flashed them, I had a big beard then, flashed them a fab one US call sign. Uh, even when they come to approach you, you know, they even thought you were something else that you weren't, and they just let you through. So we, we, we worked quite well, but we worked a lot of uh, North, East, South, West, and, you know, uh, from that to Bagram picking up um, X22, X Seal guys, uh, Marsoc, uh, a couple of Rangers. We picked up a serving uh, US uh, American Air Force colonels, brigadiers, and people would be like, "Why don't they have their own?" Because they don't. Yeah. These people working in the green, green village, you know, in, in the green zone, so they didn't have that. They're just another colonel, but they held some significance within their rank structure but not serving because it was either they were high in intel or they were to do with counter-terrorism or espionage but they didn't have a security detail and that's what involved our contract going out picking them up taking them you know yeah we got a call at two in the morning can you go to bagram can you go and pick up we got a, a number of the x22 lads that were on our team uh they've landed in bagram been on a sortie to uh 
X, Y, Z. Um, can you go and pick them up? Yeah, we would go into there. And back room was like, it was like four fucking knocks. You know, you couldn't, it, it, it was it was difficult at the best of it. But um, taking in and taking out, especially especially when you've not, if it's not your own guys, when we used to take and go and pick up some of the Exeter ones, um, you, they'd walk you in because, you know, these guys would get in and showing the card and, some of the credentials you didn't even need because it, it, it was just about faces and so yeah. forth. But when you was moving around the system, yeah, you'd have to be bonging $20 out in $1 bills to the Afghans to get from checkpoint to checkpoint to checkpoint. So uh, so that was where I led on to, from there, on to uh, running the, the teams all around and everywhere and bringing in, um, we did the portrays the, the, the detail into KMTC. Um, uh, Condoleezza Rice, she came into uh, Kabul, and I can say this now because it's, it's, not, it's not a secret about it, we got the first under the wire four-star general from Finland arrive, um, and I've given the detail 24 hours, and it was, uh, I'll send you that by private so you can read it, it's very nice, and, 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 and but it was, I had to find in a 12-hour window, without letting the rest of the green zone know that this general was coming in his force. Now, he, the general, um, he only answered to the president. And he came in with, he had his own security detail, CP team, but for this detail, they've never used PMCs before. So we've gone from, we just signed over his armor group to G4S. And G4S had just bought armor group for untold millions. So we were now G4S. So G4S had a bit more cloud with the name no the crap um no, nobody can deny that they had their place at poorly run uh, but extremely well to do he landed we he spoke great english he was, I was very courteous no sir no sir so i had a four-star general three-star general two-star general two colonels three majors one captain and then about 10 lieutenants and i'm like jesus talk yeah. about this was his old war cabinet and i'm like these fuckers get whacked on my day. This is going to be the worst thing ever for me. So I put the general with me in my B6. The other two could be separated in between vehicles. But we had a B6 minibus. And it's the biggest thing that stood out in Afghanistan. This white, brand new American Dodge minibus with blacked out windows between two um pmc land cruisers two rear pmc land cruisers with with um the white sisters and all the uh the the, the the gucci gear on it to keep us protected but these poor fuckers in the middle which were lieutenants and just a captain and one general a couple of colonels they had nothing they had a b6 armor plated vehicle but we had a we had one of our local drivers driving because we didn't have anybody else so it's us. so we took him to camp it's the first time it ever happened in history. Um, they stayed in Camp Anjuman, um, just down the road in Kabul. They were, were fed and so forth. So I was appointed as IBG, which is an individual bodyguard to the general. Everywhere he went, I went. Uh, he spoke great English and he was on to the president and he was very, very, very good. Then we got him around the country. Uh, the next day, because he was flying to meet the Finnish uh, army, presents him with something because they'd had the first fate, two fatalities in combat oh. since World War. So it was it, he wanted to show his uh, gratitude, and, and at the same time, it, there was sorrow. He took us, we took him off, and, and this is another funny thing. 
we took a whole Finnish war office onto another German Irk. And I, I found these funny me thinking, you know, it, it, it's like asking uh, a Parasat major to fly an Irk full of 4-2 commandos. It was just not heard of, it was just not done. So we'd gone on there. He called me back on and, he, and, he, and he, he shook my hand and he said, I'd like to wish you and your team, because I had one girl on a team of five other lads. Um, we've never worked with PMCs before. It was, it was uh, you did us very proud. We, we got around the, the country, uh, well, Kabul, uh, safe and, and very, no issues with, with the locals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we got a, a massive uh, commendation for, as a PMC company. Wow. And when I went back to my other client, we start that they started getting work from government, uh, which was very unheard of. Other governments they came back to Finn and they used uh, G4 again. So I got a bit of pat on the back for that, um, and I, I just that was then the, the thing of which I just stayed with um, the guys that I was with because it was quite it was quite good. It was you know we were uh, I was the boss, and I answered to one other. And as the rules went, we were pretty rule-free. We'd drive around uh, in our armoured pickups, but we'd have it jingly-fied, you know, I'd have jingles stuff in the windows and cans and full of crap. And my local drivers were good drivers, good fluent English drivers. Um, and we just, we just stuck to the rules to the best we could. It was very rare, and the rare times that we did get stopped. Um, well, we got stopped. We got stopped twice by the NDS, and if anybody doesn't know who they are, um, they are a Afghan rogue, but military providing um, team company, whatever you want to call them in, in Afghan. Uh, no, no, no rules. They're trained by Erifid and some SEALs, which is ironic because they end up going after us. And I watched in front of me, sat there on the road, and the NDS are having a massive contact with these insurgents on the right. And I'm sat in my window, pushed right back there to open, it's not gonna to come to me. And this this lad in the tower there, which was Camp Phoenix, he opens up his 50 cal and this guy just goes to jelly. <laughs> he just disintegrates. And I'm like, wow, it's, it's everywhere. It's all over cars. And the guy runs out of an RPG, fires it, and it just goes off and doesn't blow up in front of the vehicle on the floor. So again, it, it was, you know, it, it was them, critical moments where you held your breath and like because it's so close and you don't want them to turn because even though you know you're, you're a bit tanned and you're a bit i've got a, I had a ginger beard you're still a westerner you still yeah. look like and i'd wear a pashtun and my shimag over my neck it only takes a quick second look to to, to, to be able to see uh, that that look of a westerner changes the game so they engage you do you become a contact RPG'd, etc., etc., and that's you know it goes on from there. Um, what was your decision making? Because obviously you've done these um, private military contracts, and then you went into close protection work. Uh, I was seeing the picture of you with Michael Jackson, um, I believe Hillary Clinton. How easy was it to go from that military environment to looking after the elite and famous? Yeah, really good and really easy. I mean, you've got to. Uh, there was still some good money at the time for London, um, and predominantly close protection stroke RST, which is residential security. So if you weren't 
the initial CP phase of it, you were staggering on in there out why they was there. Or for empty houses of the wealthy. Um, so it, it became one of those things that you you had to establish your own who you are, what 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 you're about. You right. turned up with bullshit. And you start, you know, you could listen, you're listening to the guys uh, on teams talking about things that were non-relative, but bullshitting. It was just, you could just tell it was, and typical of a squaddy, you know, it just rattling shit on. And then you get some go, some idiot that's just sat there that's got no clue, that's not done nothing. And he accepts that. So I just tried to do as much as I could uh, without actually overselling myself to make it look like I was so desperate and keen and guys that I worked for um, started bringing me back more and more and more and you know and then I, my branch of, of, of friendships with people expanded the work element of it uh, because where you're relying on two guys for a summer gig other than friends that were good that were in team leader, managerial roles, were able to turn around and say, well, I'll tell you what, I know a good lad. I can pass him on to somebody. Yeah. Obviously, you got down there, you determined if the job was crap or not. But the money was good. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of digs that, that give you digs with it, so you were sharing. I, I, I had a room with, um, and it was the first contract ever that I realised that four of them were civvies. We had 20 military and four civvies. Um, instead of a military full house, which that's what I've been working with. Um, and they were really good lads. They 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 held their own. They were they were that you would never have guessed if you'd have took them to one side. But you could have took a couple of the squatty lads to one side, thought they were just fat slobs, civvy fat slobs. I've got nothing against fat slobs, civvies that are fat and slobs. But what I'm saying is <laughs> as it's betrayed, you know, everyone's got this stereotyped image that the British Army produced these war fighting, tall, muscular killing machines. And that certainly isn't the case in any of the regiments. You know, I've got mates that come out that don't do nothing about the army, don't talk about the army, and they live for 20 pints on a Friday, 20 pints on a Saturday, and beer and curry on a Sunday, and they drive a truck. Now, I think that's great. If you can do that in your life and take that, and you're comfortable and happy and confident in what you do, and you take that forward with your family, it's it, that's you. That's you, that is. Make I'm as green as green yesterday, and I'll still remain green all the way until the day I die. It's just passionate. It's just, you know, with the airsoft side of things, it, 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 I talk about it to people, whether I bore them or not. Um, but, yeah, it was, it, 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 you know, people are a misconception. They still do today when they talk to me with the client I'm with now. They automatically assume that you live that close protection life. You have a fast car. You fly around on private jets. You've got a big fat Rolex. You're eating a thousand pound meal in somewhere in London. You're you're this. You're that. They don't envisage that the fact that you walk around with your client for fifteen hours, spending twelve hours spending it, hours, but they've had the feet massage four times. They spent <laughs> about ten mil, and your socks are wet through through your shoes, and you've had your back is killing you because you've been stood. Erect, shoulders back, chin up, looking the part. Your earpiece, your ear swollen because your earpiece is irritating you. <laughs> You've got static every now and then. You know that the drivers, as bored as they are, are getting to go to the toilet, they're getting to eat. Your muck is turning and looking at you. You go, 
this is fucking shit. This is, this is, and, and you can hear babies with, this is shit. This, I've had enough. And they're giving you greens, and you're looking at them, and then they're tutting, and you've had a bottle of water, or you you get to know. We got to know a couple of girls in Arabs that would make um, make us a coffee and a cake, and they take them to the handicap toilets. And when we was going to the toilet, they'd let us quickly go in the handicap toilet, <laughs> sit down, smash your coffee down, and eat your bud. So it was it was a godsend because in that 18 hours, 12, 14, 10 hours, uh, I should say 10, 12, 13, 14 hours uh, of constant shopping, of constant earlies and lates and very late, you might have got one bottle of water if you're lucky. You know, you may, uh-huh. you, you might have been driving a vehicle, you might have been, they're the client, they can eat wherever they want. You know, if you go into a restaurant, you might sit at a table, you may get a Coke, you may get a glass of water. But the likelihood is, if they're going to somewhere very lush, um, not every client takes a BG into the building with them because they don't want to be, not just the recognised thing, it, 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 it can draw the wrong attention. And for somebody's like, oh, and, and it starts having a who's that with them over there. You know, it makes them nervous. I had a client say to me, I don't want you near us. I don't want you to talk to us. I don't want you within 20 feet of us because you make me nervous. And the only reason that you've been assigned to us is because my management team believe that I need bodyguards. And we were walking miles behind her, like, what fucking good's this? And she gets jumped. And she was adamant. She said, I don't want you coming into a restaurant. When you park outside my house, park two doors up, don't park outside the front. She said, when I come out, I just get in the vehicle. I don't want the driver will do the door. And, and she was like that through the whole four months of the contract. She, you know, yes, she was nice to us, but she made it with, she, she was out of, she just turned around and said, I don't want this. When we went to the park with the dogs, we'd walk around with the dogs and we would be in suits. And she'd say, yeah, you need to dress down for this to not draw attention. Said, right, fine, we'll dress down. She would be walking around. She'd be enjoying, enjoy, don't wear sunglasses because everyone's stereotyped this or that, wearing sunglasses, looking like MIP, <laughs> walking around in black suits. And, you know, and she said, you wear black suits. No, I don't wear a black suit. Got nothing against Dorman. Got a lot of friends with Dorman. Got a black suit and white shirt and black tie is a Dorman's gig. It's not CP. You, you've got to wear a nice suit. You've got to blend in. You've got you four fucking blokes done in black suits. They either look like Russians, Europeans, or they look like Dorman. And then that's as simple. And everybody who's on for a good CP circuit knows full well, you know, a nice blazer, a nice pair of chinos and boots. Um, but yeah, that was, it was your clientele. You um, was always, for a better word, I wouldn't like to use the word dictated to, but you are dictated to, to what it is, um, how they plan it. And they do watch it. They do, they do, take, do, do take on good note. That you know what what you're doing, how you present yourself, uh, and that results in you getting further work down the line. Which you know I, I've been lucky. Size is a good thing as well. Yeah. Six foot two plus. You know, a client, a friend of mine turned around and said to me, and I wasn't on this, but a client had asked for guys over six foot four. He wanted four guys over six foot four, and I said, "You're going to struggle." So we brought these guys in. Uh, I didn't meet the guys. The client was five foot seven and he wanted that look he wanted to walk down the high street towards arrows where he just moved the crowd because he had the power he had the money he had four fucking four six foot four beefy blokes that you know it stood out like a sore thumb like i said to you before about the old and covert yeah sometimes you want to be 
it, 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 if that's what a pop star wants, one of my mates who's, who does with pop stars, uh, all the gangster side of things, he plays a very low profile, right off there, wears a baseball cap, trainers, blends in with a tracky top so that he, you would never know that he was part of a close protection team, where when you go out with a village guy that I know that works same there as I do, like me, he's suiting and booted. He'll get out of a vehicle and you have an inkling that he might be just, not just a driver, he might be security. And then most people say they've got to be ex-military and they come up with that as well. So, yeah. Wow. So through throughout all of this, obviously you've had a lot to deal with uh, through seeing injuries, through death, through stressful situations, going from the military to PMC work. Now, stood in Harrods for hours on end, uh, waiting for a client while they get their foot rubbed. Um, does this still, or has it affected you uh, mentally? Like you said, when you came back from Iraq, there was a change in you. Is this, do you feel this is still an ongoing change? Or do you feel that this, yourself now, is a finished article uh, regarding everything you've been through? Um as a finished article, I would uh, there's, I think that there's always scope to, to, to do more. You, know, you, you always want to bet yourself, even the older you get, yeah. and the older you get. I don't believe that we're never not we're not able to learn. I'll become wiser at, at, at something else. You know, teaching an old dog new tricks. I don't believe in all these super duper special people that think they are better than everybody else because personally, they're not. They, they, they're all going to the same place. He knew that, uh, whether it's early or later, and they'll be pushing up like the guy I look after now. He says they might be wealthy, but he can't take his box, might be a little bit more expensive than mine. But you know, that, that, that when he goes, he's going to go. But as for um, mental health stability, I mean, I'm a big advocate now of making sure that um, I could never tell you that every day is the same day with me, uh, and neither could everybody else. Yeah. Does it affect me working and providing individual individuals? Uh, no, it doesn't. It's not necessarily a turn on and turn off. I don't think that if I'm occupied, I'm quite fine. People and close friends and my family will pick up on traits where uh, things aren't gelling in the head. Um, and, that, and that could be a numerous things, you know. Um, I have a particular deodorant. Now, out of Africa, takes me back to Iraq. All the lads used it because it was a fucking Christmas box that they get, you know, shower gel, links after shave, yeah. that links deodorant, the rooms would fucking stink of them. Uh, so I, uh, it reminds me very much of that smell it does. Um, and, you know, I can blink and I'm instantly, instantly there. And then, Unfortunately, then what comes with that? Everything else. It's not just having that laugh in the room when you come out of the shower and someone's whipped you and you're bollock naked. It's the fact that what comes from that then is three days before that, there was a suicide. Four days after that, you found a dead body at the front of the gate. Yeah. Six days after that, there's contact. And, it, and then for a week, two, three, you can have a different emotion, different flood, the different gate open, allowing excess things in, which then brings you down and you get people come to you and say oh booty bastard or um 
you know, oh, what's fucking wrong with you? What's wrong with your long face? You know, um, we know that with the PTSD that stands within the world at the moment, we know there's a lot of people that will turn and use the terminology, the information provided, the, the structure, and label themselves that they've got that because it's easy to do. We have now got a, 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 a society where, you know, if you can't read, there's a label for it. If you can't add up, there's a label for it. If there's this, if there's that. When I went to school, you were just a fucking thicket, thickles. That's it. You didn't, you know, you, you weren't the brightest tool in the box. So you'd end up joining the army because you couldn't add up. And that was me. I wasn't the brightest spark at school. It wasn't because I had any, I was an adolescent or had any mental health issues or I was just stupid at adding up. I couldn't add up. It was simple enough. I just didn't grasp it. I couldn't, I didn't take it on board. You know, few other things where now we, we have to look at things we have to analyze things we have to take things at face value and say right well let's put that person in that pot there and that other person in that pot there and let's see what it is in between and we'll make something up or we'll give them something and ptsd is i'm not going to say that i don't want it to sound like it comes across that that, that there's a bandwagon and people have jumped on it but i think over the last period of time there's there isn't a great deal of recognition for its truth. Hmm. We're, we're a country where it's very, very quick to jump on a bandwagon when we see something on the news. And we're, we're very, we, we can get them the back of that, a three, five day lash where they'll, they'll, they'll say something. But the 364 days of the year after that, nothing's mentioned. Nothing, you know, we, we don't go into anything. It's on the same power of the NHS. They do. My wife works in it. It's, it, you know, firemen, police officers. People say, well, you joined up for that service. Yes, you did. And you accept what comes with that. But as far as, as it goes for my uh, mental health, it will never be if I was to take this 50-year-old against a 50-year-old that would have never took on the military and never took on conflict across the world. Um, would it be the same? Of course it wouldn't be, you know. Um, do I, how do I channel it? The airsoft industry is probably the best thing for me. Yep. You know, same like people, now you like people like you, you know, you rock up. It, same little things like the lads on the team that I've got ex-military and one lad that's a reservist. Um, you say something that only you can comment on. Something that you only know that, that you, like you're laughing now, that you'll think, we it'll take you back to a moment and you'll have a giggle at yourself but other people look around and go what the fuck's he on about <laughs> that that's what gets you through and you'll walk away and if it's i said something to one of the lads about northern ireland the other day and he he must have been crying for a good three four minutes and it, it was like a child he held his breath because he's not heard it that long and we would so it took us to a moment where we'd served together in in in, in northern ireland um and he said, fucking hell, I've not heard that since 1995, 96, 97, He said, because, you know, the mixture of people that you're not necessarily, they're not the people that you've got around you, are not bad people, but the people you've got around you don't grasp that common sense, don't grasp that, 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 that intellect, don't understand because they don't come from, uh, whether even only, even only if you serve four years, you've still got three, four years, you've still got an understanding of how we are. And I just don't think that with everything that 
I went through as uh, from a private soldier through the military um, to the death. I mean, I've seen. I I couldn't be even begin to tell you um, the amount of dead people I've seen climbing into ISO containers to bring out people that there's next to nothing left, kids, um, and you know. Uh, you know, I won't. I won't be shy to it, and I, it's something that I could never have admitted years ago. Last week, when panics in the night, screaming when your wife wakes you up, and you don't know that you've been woken up, that you wake up, and only till in the morning when she reminds me and says, "You were screaming last night." Sometimes you have a, have a little small girl to, to just go back to what you think it was, and then sometimes you, you don't. So is the memory, uh, yeah, it's full of the great, fantastic, loving things that you've done with your life that, that you could turn to as a, as a military soldier, as a family man, airsoft again, the same. I think that people, it, I ne I've never slayed an airsofter, I never will. Yes, there's our soul, ex-military airsofters, there's our soul, ex Civilian um, airsofters, but that goes through the walk of life in all industries, whether it be a brickie, joiner, electrician, driver, whatever, you know. So we know that, but with this industry, with this sport that we're in, um, you're able to take a lot more from that. You're able to, you know, you, you can throw yourself in deep. You can have the best of both when you're having the worst day ever. And you know your team that you're on. You know the lads that you're around you. I've seen you guys when you were working and when we were up on the on, on the same track and you're all doing uh, dan doing a little dance with the mouths. And I'm I'm like, that's what it's about. Yeah. That that's that's the pinnacle moments that that not necessarily just you remember, but I remember. But that that keep you where you are with what you're doing with with what with like with, with, with what you're doing here putting something back in getting people on that, that are explaining to them. and could we could we all that have been on this page and say yes we're as as full corpus mentis full um as normal as no, i wouldn't think that any person would be able to uh, that can turn on and put hand on our and i i would say that it goes across the board with most people but you know, if you're having a shit time in life, um, you can't put on the same pedestal and put into comparison what we do and what we've done and uh, and be able to bring in on a conversation that, you know, you, I'm, I'm not going to take away from that individual that has not got mental health. I'm not going to take away that they feel low, they're suicidal, there's an issue, blah, 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 blah. But... I don't ever throw out to people and say, or they say, well, it's, you fucking joined. I know I joined. I don't, I don't throw it out to somebody and, and give them that to say, well, you know, you've put me here. You put me in Iraq. You put me in Libya. You put me in Afghanistan. You put me here. You put me there. No, you didn't. I chose to join. I chose to put on a green uniform and do for the country. And I didn't do it for just this country. I did it for my family as well. And I did it for me. I wanted to join the army. That's it. I wanted to do it. So what comes with that but what comes with that is far more now than it's ever had. And I just hope that with the way that the world's going, which obviously at the moment is not very good with what we know we're going on abroad, but no. that we don't have this another luggage of, of mental, you know, we've got the Afghan 
things closed at the moment, so we've got a lot that have come out of that, which is, is good. Iraq's still, it's still got its issues. Libya's the same. I've got friends in Libya. Um, you know, Syria's the same. But we've not got, uh, is this going to be embarking on a new thing, the, 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 the Russia thing? That will only tell in time. But from a mental strategy, it, it plays on you. You know, I've sat thinking all day long, oh, Jesus, you know, forums that will be opening up today of ex squadrons that will look to want to go and fight against the Because it's full of them. You know, they, they've all done it in Syria. They've all gone out to Iraq. They've all gone out to all these, you know, other places to take on ISIS, combined other ex-military from other parts of the world, grab the gear, get a flight, go over, and then they want to take it to them. And I don't condone it. I don't, I don't think it's the right thing to do, but at the same time, it takes a lot of balls. People say stupidity. Uh, yeah, but we are. That, that element of stupidity runs through all of us at, at, at all levels. Uh, so I just think that would I be where I am now um, if I'd have never done what I've done? Um, no, I know for certainly I wouldn't be because I am not the character I was before I joined up the army. And as I've gone through my military career, I'm a totally what's made me. Sometimes it makes you a bad person in the sense of you can be extremely hostile. You can, you can, the volatile element of drop of a pin can just, you know, you just for no re, no re, no reason. Reactions are so fast that you can cut through somebody sharper than ever. Um, and I don't think, it, you know, I'm not saying it's a good thing, I'm not saying it's certainly a bad thing. It's made me stand up for myself. It's made me a better person, some of this mental health element of it, because it's made me a stronger character. But um, the dark sides to it, uh, I, I think, are the worst times for anybody. You know, and, and, and I don't believe that, not just an element of pills, but someone condescending, patronising, sat in a doctor's waiting room, listening to you, talking over, bubbling and bubbling out, what it is that you've been through and done, they can't grasp that. They can't comprehend that. They can't, unless they can actually stand at your side and see what you've seen. Um, I, I don't believe that that, that, that that is, I don't believe you can save somebody from a mental health to what we're about, what we're discussing. I don't believe that all the pills in the world they can, uh, are going to make you any better. No, they're not. Do they suppress it? Possibly. Do they give you long-term drag out that mental health thing well of course it does if you don't take him what's the alternative suicide as we very well know suicide is that it's got to be it is the number one is is the last on the on the page so the tablets that work for you yeah would you take them yeah do you believe it's the right thing to do well of course it's not nobody wants to pop pills daily because you've got a mental health issue but i don't believe that we we, we will ever have something that you can put your finger on it and say that will stop mental health. That will eradicate. That will take it away from you. Because no, it won't. if if you people were to climb in my head for just a day or a week and see and hear things that can, you know, I don't want people going to me. You know, no, you won't. All right, I might do. I don't do the television thing. I've got fucking somebody sat on your shoulder telling you, you know, you know, drive faster, drive faster. You know, go slower, go slower. You know, you see, you, you, people do say to me when I have spoken, especially people that are close to me, go. And you just go, hang on. Yeah, they're talking to me. And they go, 
fucking hell, you're talking to somebody. I go, no, not really. There's nobody there. And he starts laughing. You think, oh my God, he's got somebody else in my room with him. And I've done that a lot of times. Going, just wait and talk it to him. Do you not see? And they'll then talk it. I said, wait. Or do you want to ask him a question? And they're going, who's he talking to? Has he got And you can play on it. So you can play that, that double-edged sword. But um, yeah. Uh, I know we, we're heavily into Airsoft. I know you've spoken about it quite a lot. How did you get into Airsoft? So I, a very good mate of mine, uh, Rob Cobshaw, who's a city lad, um, he's a civvy in a military head, a military body. He, he just, you know, you love men, good people that you think, why was you never in the military? Yeah. What a waste. That you, you know, I know squaddies that you that run rings round, you know. Um, so I met him. Um, and I went to my uh, this first airsoft, and I wore all my 2003 desert gear, stood up like an idiot, and got la- got laced, mate. I must have had BB. I must have got a thousand rounds down my chest back and out because they just stood out. That was my first encounter and last encounter. So I walked away, and you know it was the two-tone gun. Um, I thought, come on. Just head all over, like, oh my god, what's this? You get a rifle, you can wear an army uniform, you know. This PlayStation at the time, and then Call of Duty and all that other malarkey came out. And I progressed from there, um, doing and looking at other options and angles, and you know, guys that were on teams and finding people that have the same sort of mentality and, and I know a lot of it with the serving the same regiment um, I did uh, with a, a, a very well-known special forces event um, we did uh, a, an airsoft related um, trailer for it which was extremely good I was um, on uh, um, I was doing a seer element of it uh, and we used airsoft weapons on that, and it, it it run very well. It was it was re- it really, and it just made me think, what was and and how many people are involved, and how many people um, that you, you don't realise how big the airsoft community is. And, oh, it's massive! Oh, phenomenal! Uh, right through to professional teams like the Dead Group guys that. That, that run this that and the other and then and then you start looking across the board which i did you know across the us where it's just it's played on stupendously big camps um you know a thousand players on ex-military big well concurrent running military camps at the seals and swap news and stuff and yeah. they've got they, they can have infill by chinooks and extract by little birds and you're like oh, i fucking want this in my life um <laughs> And then you start to encounter real steel. So I've got TMs um, and I'd had a few gas blowbacks, which were interchangeable parts. Uh, and I never looked back then. Once once I'd got these heavy duty real steel bad boys that were kicking in my shoulder and making the thump. The only thing that left it was a six mil, uh, which you were devastated with. But joking from that, I was like, this is me and me only, uh, you know, and I, been at it now for six years yeah. um and yeah uh, it, it, it's it, it, it you get to meet quality people like you and your guys on your teams uh, like-minded people of the same thing um 
But I think the nice thing about it is there's lots of lads on, on our team that want to learn from the guys that are ex-military because, because they don't envisage themselves as soldiers or can't be a soldier for whatever reason, medical reasons or stuff like that. They love that idea. And they're not call the duty idiots. They're not they're not guys that, that live and breathe by wanting to be a you know a Navy SEAL or or run around with a Sandy Eric and bury on. They just want to be better at um, aircraft. They just want to be a little bit more concurrent. They want to be a little bit faster. They want to be a bit more swift and interchangeable between secondary uh, primary and secondary and so forth. So that helps as well. But um, it's just good people. You just get to meet everybody. I had a little lad, lad a couple of just before Christmas, which was which was great. He come down off. Uh, he was walking up this path, and the lads were ahead of him, and he and, they, and he said to the lads. Which I don't look at. Like. He goes, "There's fucking chief," with his dad holding his hand, and the lads turned and he went, "That's him, that's him, that's him." And this guy turned around, he went, "You chief?" And I, I don't. And I went, because I would have just said Andy. And I went, "Yes, mate." He said, and the little lad come and stood next to me, and I'm like, "Bless him." He must have been only fifteen, <laughs> um, all of about six stone wet, but he, but he, he was, you know, and. I think, you know, social media is just such a good thing for you anyway. And I've spoke to endless people about my career on social media, especially Instagram. They'll message you privately and say, I want to be a bodyguard. Yeah. I want to go and work in Afghan. I want to go and do this. I want to go and do that. Um, how can I do this? Um, what do you advise? What's the cost? And you're like, and I'll send him a mobile. I'll speak to him. If it's, if it's going to help somebody to progress, and stuff, and airsoft as well, the same, you know, they'll come on and go, I want to do this, but how can I do it with, with only what I've got? And, you know, you, you can look at options. And I'm no expert. I'm by far no expert. You know, if my opinion doesn't count for anything. It's just I'm just being able to, uh, my time in life, cross-match and bring in my military experience into an airsoft industry experience and put the two to two together, enjoying the camaraderie, which, you know, yourself plays a massive part with the guys that you have on your team. That's that's what it's all about, is camaraderie. And the lads on my team, um, you know, they they just they all offer something individual. They all bring something. Um, we all bring something stupid, um, but they all equally bring something stupid. But at the same time, I wouldn't have it any other way because you know that that stupidity uh, equals itself out for other great strengths um, and. Uh, you know, they just want to learn constantly and constantly and constantly and keep asking and asking and asking and asking. And I'm constantly talking. As, as my two, I see Rob, um, he was in the same regiment as me. We've got um, Cole and Sean, and they were in the same regiment in, in, in Ireland at the same time. But the, the funny thing is my two, I see, which we laugh about this. We were in the same battalion doing the same ops I've never thought, I never met him for 25 years. <laughs> and we, he come and joined us a year ago. And since then, everywhere he's been, I've been. So I could have been in the Nafi queue in Balakelly getting a cheap butty. And he could have been at the end getting some crisps at the beer. He could have been on the piss in Cambridge when we were based in Cambridge. And he could have been in a nightclub. But I was coming out of the nightclub. And that's what it was. We were, because he was in fire support company. And I was in Charlie company. 
and I just never met him, never knew him. And then, uh, and Sean, who was in seven platoon and I was in nine platoon, um, he said, "Oh, I'll bring my mates up there, uh, Rob." He said, "And he'll, he'll have a chat." With him. And we fucking hit it off like an house on fire. It just, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you would think me and him were having an affair. Uh, <laughs> I speak to him more than I speak to anybody else, and he speaks to me. Yeah. And we still shit all day long. You know, we, we, we still discuss things about patrols. We still discuss things heavily about airsoft, you know, the changing industry. Um, some of the stuff that's out there that's frightening, some of the stuff, you know, and, and some of the people that come to the attention of this. And I just, yeah, I just think the, the airsoft industry, I'm glad it's the industry um, of choice rather than, you know, I'm not saying football's a bad thing because I like football, etc. and I'm a big Formula 1 fan, but boxing. But I just think for my mental state, oh, mate, you, you know yourself. We're packing your gear the game day. You've just took your M4 and you've got, I'm not saying we're going to stroke them, but we don't talk to them. But what I'm saying is you have there's that it gives you a second it gives you a moment once you've got your gear on and you're into the thick of it if you're not arsing about through the day and you've gone out on a patrol like your guys say you, you were out on it and you then engage in a, in, in a contact ambush any etc etc you're going to do everything that you've been taught everything that you can possibly do in your mind and body and soul that was drummed into you to evade getting shot yeah so, you, so that military mentality steps in straight away. It does, though you're playing, and people say, "Oh, you're playing fucking soldiers. You're playing with toy guns." We, we, we I've never denied that. I've never denied that I don't play in a fucking uniform, and I don't have. But it's an expensive uniform, and it's an expensive fucking toy gun. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It is, isn't it? You know, <laughs> yeah. we, we're not. We're not going to take it away from that. I mean, I'm going to get some some guys that whipped out 14, 1800, 900 pound TM suits up and interchangeable this. And, and you're like, you're kidding me. That's two weeks of broadcast for a. Uh, so, but uh, does it does it keep you, does it keep the, that, that, the, the door and the head closed? Yeah, it does yeah. most of the time. It, because you're always thinking about, I had this planned with your good self, and uh, yeah. You know, your, your brain's rattling, but the good, it, it brought a whole week of bloody memories when you when we spoke about it. And I was like, oh, fucking hell, yes. You know, and, and I was looking, and I I didn't have a bad memory all week long, irrespective of poor lads that we've lost on tour, uh, young lads and well known senior guys, and, and some of the, but some of the things that we, we, we got, we got smashed in 2003, um, and it was, um, Red 12, Red 14, outside. I mean, the, the the city turned on us. And they were having us with, bro with, with bro uh, bricks, uh, rocks, uh, petrol bombs. Um, and it was a bad day. I dealt with 12 casualties, um, engineer guys. We had uh, Cat 1s, Cat 2s and Cat 3s. Uh, and I was pretty much on my lonesome. And it was a big day. Um, a lot of big, massive, uh, life-changing injuries. Um but I sat laughing at it because there was other elements of it where my one of the sergeants went up to me. He went, I think I brought my hand, Andy. I went, yeah, you have. He said, fuck it. Just tape it to my gun. <laughs> and I was laughing. And I said, you can't do that. He said, you fucking can. Tape it up. Get some tape on it. And he's got a fucking black nasty round his hand, stuck to the hand grip, to the, to the hand guard, uh, to his fucking pistol grip, uh, rifle grip. And he said, I can use my fingers. It hurts. 
and he comes back about an hour later and he's broke his thumb on his other hand. He said, what did you do? That's, that is what makes you laugh. And I, yeah. I, I was thinking that. This, I was like, crazy bastard, you know. Um, but yeah. Fantastic. Um, two questions I want to leave you with is, uh, first one is, did you ever take anything with you when you were on tour or when you were going out doing recce's and PMC as a good luck charm, a talisman, uh, something of personal significance? Did you anything take anything with you? No. I mean, like anybody does, I, I, I carry, I've always had a, a, in the wallet, my wife and daughter. Um, I, ne- I was ne- I've never been a god man. Never, never believed, I wouldn't use the word to label myself as, a, as an atheist, but I was never on my hands and knees praying out to God, you know. So only when I had my first encounter in Iraq where behind the hub of a wheel and the, we were getting smashed and it was live on television um, and we, we and how we lived and me and um, this reserve lad I just said a few things I just who I was talking to I don't know did I did I say God probably I did and I put it to the effect of keep me alive save me don't let me die here today and I took that and I've always remembered that. And have I said little things during my time of my career away? Yes, I have. I won't deny it. I've not knelt at the end of bed with a glass of milk and fucking prayed, you know, done the TV thing. But I've mumbled shit to myself, especially where I've said when I'm away, keep my wife and my daughter, my parents safe and my sister and things like that as a standard practice. But do it, do it. Would I carry a five, five, six? No, that's that got, got my name on it, or a nine mil with my name on, or a Charles Brown and neck. No, I, I, I've never been lucky boxer shorts, lucky underpants, socks, and all that malarkey. No, nothing at all, mate. Uh, and my last question is, uh, would you do it all over again? Yes. In a If would given the opportunity, would I change it to do other things? Yeah, I think I would. I'd, I'd look at, I'd, I'd definitely look at the more educational element of it that, that right. from an educational side of it because I lacked in poor education as a young kid. Um, I wasn't driven. Um, and looking at things now, do I, would I have took an infantry role? Yeah. They'll say yes, but would I, would I, would, when people speak to me about wanting their kids to grow in, a friend of mine is now a, is a young lad from, um, Huddersfield, he's an officer, going through officer training down uh, at 40, 42 commander, one of the places down there. Um, would I look at doing something that would put me on a better track outside? Yeah, more likely. Uh, would I look to... It doesn't change the person. It doesn't change you from being able to go and, and get driven in, in other avenues, whether you want to go for, uh, for Marines, Parachute Regiment, Erifford, SRR, SBS, you know. Um, but what I do believe that given the options, that if you've got the ability to be, you know, if you're like that way inclined with as a mechanic or you've got that sort of mentality of growing up, then I would follow it because it's going to put you in a better path. You know, I never got none of my, I got my driving license. That was it. I didn't get fucking now else. Every one of my mates got HGVs. They got their hat miles and all that. And what they've got now, they've still got, they're either driving HGVs. But looking at that then would have changed that then because that would change my path way where I am today. 
then probably not no because you know even though in this industry it's a, it's a doggy dog industry i don't i can't offer anybody else except my what i do as an individual um i can't offer i can't whip the body body up of your hood of your car with the gas it plugs off and change him because i wouldn't even know where they were to be honest because that's not what i'm about what i am about is what i've done for the last nearly 16 years and worked concurrent with you know when with all types of the people in the industry from celebs government officials to where it is now so would i not change any of it some bits i probably would but as a whole start again Yes, I'd go back to the clock and I'd re readjust it because I look at it now and I think, God, I'm 51. I miss. I miss lots to do. I miss. I don't know. It, it, there'll always be a miss. You may think, find out yourself that some mornings you just think to yourself, God, you know, I wish I was doing this. And you do wish your life away. And I, I've, I said to my daughter when I was 13, you blink and it's gone. Yeah. And that's how it is. You know, I, I never thought I'd be 50, nearly 51. And, I could still cut it around, I could still run as well, and I could still do everything else, but I didn't think I'd ever be 51, Dan. I tell you now, mate, I've always been 22, 23, and it keeps getting year in, year out, and they keep fucking numbers, and I'm still 21, 22, 23, and I, and I mean, I'll be 58, 59, and I'll still be 21, 22, 23. <laughs> Wrinkles, bolder, but a bigger chin, maybe, but, uh, you know, I, I, it is what it is, and I, I've enjoyed it, and, uh, and I've got to meet with what we're doing, you, your guys, my guys, uh, and I've experienced everything on both sides of it. So I'm playing with a gun. If somebody wants to, if someone wants to be, you know, very particular, I'm playing with a toy gun in a uniform, acting it out as a soldier. But I've done it in the real time as well. And in between that, I've looked after some of the best people in the world. Um, so um, yeah, it's it's been uh, it, it it's left its mark. As I've said to you, um, yeah. and, and, yeah. and, and, you know, like you said, you brought it up, and it is a, it's a good thing in these things. I think it needs to be encouraged more. I think more people need this to. We shouldn't be men shouldn't be bottling it up. We shouldn't be going through this this cloak and dagger shit. You know, because you can't cry because why? Because your parents told you you can't. Because your dad did tell you you can't. You can't. Jesus, I sat watching a film and I was wailing. You know, we'd use more Andrex and looked across to Karen and she's crying and I'm crying and I'm like, I couldn't think of anything else not not to do. I try to bite my lip, try to think out of the box. Did, did I care? No. You know, does that take it make me any lesser of a person? Because uh, I, I, I'm a, I, I, I get more emotional and I think you know, once you've got kids, you become emotional anyway, attached to them. So. Um, as this goes, yeah, I'd do it all in a heartbeat, I would, mate. Good. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure Great speaking to you. Um, you well, mate. Your stories are absolutely amazing, and uh, maybe I'll be able to get you on again in the future, and we can go over some more stuff. 